Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, folks, another busy week of news to make sense of. The Inspector General's report concluding that former FBI Director James Comey violated bureau policy by disclosing memos of his interactions with President Trump. The New York Times report that the Justice Department is close to deciding whether to charge former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe for lying to federal agents. And Attorney General Bill Barr's decision to book a Trump hotel in D.C. to host a family holiday party for some $30,000. I talk about all this with Ann Milgram on the weekly Cafe Insider podcast where we break down the news and take stock of what's happening. Today, we're making a clip from the most recent episode available in the Stay Tuned feed. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, like a weekly newsletter that includes a note from me, become a member at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. But it is important to your point that at the time Comey took the memos and shared the memos initially, there was no classification. The FBI then goes back and does what they often do, and they classify it. They then alert him that it's been classified. But at the time of these actions, it's important to know that it, it's very clear that Comey didn't believe any of it was classified. Um, and again, one word ends up being classified, which is not, um, and that was never shared yeah. with the media. Later. Exactly, right. later. Can we go back to this question of what Comey should have done up front with the memos? Because nobody really talks about this, but I think well, some people have said that, you know, there's a process by which you put memos uh, and reports of interviews into the system. It's called a 302. I've read thousands of them in my day. And any FBI agent has written thousands or tens of thousands of them. This was a peculiar circumstance, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jim Comey is not a line special agent who's interviewing a witness. Nor do you want him to be a witness in the case as no, the director of the it's, FBI. It's an extraordinary thing for which there is not really a playbook. Right. In the same way that I had interactions with the sitting president. Uh, actually, I, my interactions were when he was president-elect. And then he tried to have an interaction with me when he was the sitting president and I refused the call. But but there's not a playbook for that. It's it's an odd and weird thing. And you essentially had your chief of staff in the room when you called back. Yeah, or you want to contest. Senior. Look, you know, what's lost in all of this, and we'll, we'll get to the critical part in a moment, is what is the thing about which Jim Comey was preparing memos? It wasn't about sources and methods. It wasn't about, um, you know, uh, assets, intelligence assets somewhere else. It wasn't something that was going to compromise uh, some inquiry into foreign intelligence. It was about the, the leader of the country engaging in what he thought was e either was or was bordering on obstruction. And going back to what I said at the beginning, 
you need to write that down. You know, there, there have been these other reports that in different contexts, Rod Rosenstein, I still believe this to be true, although he denies it, thought about in this in the aftermath of Jim Comey being fired, Rod Rosenstein, jokingly or not, and I believe not jokingly, suggested wearing a wire and going to talk to the president. And all these things that happened, you can't divorce them from the time. In the week or two weeks after Jim Comey was fired, lots of regular sane people, including leaders in the Congress and others, my, and myself included as a private citizen, thought that, thought that that democracy was really at risk, that you had an out-of-control, unhinged president who was prepared to do any and all things. And so you can fault Comey for the way he did it, but I do not actually fault him for having a concern about you know, a, a renegade president who was violating all these principles of the rule of law and looked like he was not just in the past obstructing justice, but could, as Jim Comey was sitting there, having just been fired, be obstructing right and left. You know, lots of people thought, and in the report that Mueller wrote, there's a very, very heavy uh, conclusion in my mind that the firing of Jim Comey itself was part of obstructive conduct. So, that can't be lost in all of it. Right. I agree very strongly with that. I, and and on a, memorializing all the conversations, um, because it's really important, and this is what FBI agents do, is that they memorialize um, information as it happens or as it's ongoing. And then it's it's a recollection of essentially the event as quickly and close in time as possible. And that's when your memory is the best. And so it's really important that he did it. I think in my mind, one of the questions I'm sort of thinking through, and I don't, I, I don't suggest I have the right answer here, but it's these memos that he did were both about somebody who is the president of the United States who happens to be, there's an investigation going on at that moment in time. And he, so he is the subject at least of an investigation. Yeah, not, he the president. He the president. And so it's not, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody who's not a target or a potential subject of an investigation. You're actually having misconduct and the obstruction goes to the potential obstruction goes to the existence of this ongoing investigation. So it is part and parcel of an ongoing criminal matter. It's also separately for Comey, he's the leader of the FBI, he's being put in a terrible position and he's got to write it down his version of events, memorialize it. It's almost like his insurance policy which is like, hey, this happened and I'm going to make sure that there's a contemporaneous document that that shows, and that I had this conversation with my chief of staff right away, these are the kind of things you and I would use to judge witness credibility all the time in cases is like, you know, did you tell someone else? Did you write it down? It really bolsters the case. So he's got these two separate things going on, and he gives a copy to his chief of staff. He says he doesn't give a copy to the investigators because he doesn't want to taint them, right? He's the, and it makes sense on some level, right? It's really (laughs) odd. He's the head of the FBI. He doesn't want to taint them. But at the same time, they're investigating they're investigating all the Russia connections. And in, in in my view, they actually should have known. Right. But I don't necessarily think he should have done a 302 either. So I just, I struggle a little with like, what should the playbook be? It's a very smart point that you made, which is in his mind, I don't know if it's so much that he was worried that it would, it would taint them, that's part of it. But also in part, it seems to me from recollecting what he said about it, that he was worried in part that it would, that it would have some prohibitive effect I mean, essentially, for investigators to know that the president wanted a particular result or wanted people not to be looking at things might affect their conduct. And he didn't want them to be aware that the in president some ways had he's to trying to buffer them, right? He's yeah. trying to protect them in some ways, yeah. But it's like, it's like the, the same problem in 2016. And look, there's a lot of people who have faulted Jim Comey, and I should say it again for people who don't know. I admire him, like him, think he's an honest person. 
used to work for him when he was a U.S. attorney and I was a line assistant. But yes, I think he made mistakes. But you're presented with these crazy situations like a president kicking out the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, from the room. Right. And then when you're alone with the FBI director, you basically say, hey, can you lay off Michael Flynn, who's <laughs> my political ally yeah. and, my, and my former national security advisor? It's crazy stuff. And so all of this has to be looked at in that context. Now, if we can now talk about what the IG report says that's negative, it was a weird way of going about this. I, I'll never forget being in the actual Senate hearing room in the summer of 2017 when Jim Comey finally gets to come and testify. And there's an exchange he has with a member of, this, of the Senate panel where he's asked about this New York Times article. And Comey, again, once again, whatever you might say, you know, he clearly answered the question and said, I provided, I don't remember, I don't have the testimony in front of me and didn't review it for this. But I'm sitting there and he says, you could hear a pin drop, that he provided information to a friend of his, who's a lawyer, with the instruction to provide it to a member of the press, which was kind of jaw-dropping right there. Yep. And <laughs> the funny thing about that, some people thought they knew who it was and they were wrong. And he says, without naming him, he says, it's a professor at Columbia Law School. And I knew immediately it must be Dan Richmond, who yeah, also too. I know and is a nice guy, an honorable yeah. guy, and a smart guy. Former and Southern District. Former Southern District, as they, as they all seem yes. to be. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 a, and a longtime friend of Jim Comey's. And I went, I'm looking at the, my Twitter feed while the hearing is going on. In that remarkable situation, the funniest tweet that I've read, like 10 or, 10 or 20 minutes after Jim Comey makes this reference to his friend who leaked information to the press, was the Columbia Law School, my alma mater, the Columbia Law School... Twitter account sent out a tweet saying, our server is down. <laughs> was, there were, there, were, just there were so many people yeah. going apparently on the faculty to website to figure out who the hell yeah. the person was yeah. that had actually overloaded the Columbia Law School server. The thing about it that's odd to me, and that I think some people can find at least some fault with, and there's a question about whether or not it was whistleblowing. He wasn't so forthright about it, right? So he was he was out of office. I think his, his intentions were good. He, in good faith, wanted to make sure that the right thing was done. He, in his own words, in his own testimony, said, I was looking for there to be the prompting of the appointment of a special counsel. But he doesn't go out and say all this stuff. He didn't wait till the hearing and say, ladies and gentlemen of the, of the Senate, I believe that the President of the United States tried to obstruct doing these things. And if you thought it was appropriate to get out, then you might as well attach your name to it. Right. And doing the bank shot of yep. wanting the information to come out, but at the same time, not wanting to be known as the source of the information. That's the thing that makes a lot of people in the inspector general's office, I think, appropriately queasy and, and maybe some members of the public. It makes me queasy, right? There's something missing from the IG report, which is the context of the situation and how complex and difficult, you know, you and I can sit here and say, should Comey have shared the memos with someone other than his chief of staff? And we don't even have an agreement. I mean, this is a very... It's a very complex moment in time, and there's there's a lot of equities to be weighed and things to consider. So I think not acknowledging that in many ways, to me, diminishes the IG report, because it's easy just to say this is a technical violation, this is a technical violation, this is a technical violation, but you have to understand that this really was an unprecedented historical moment. Now, that being said, you know, I've been in public life as a state, local, and federal prosecutor more than a decade. I've never once leaked anything, yeah, right? Either. And and I've and I can't say I've had the president of the United States fire me. You can, <laughs> but, but, but but even in that context, I mean, totally totally different. Not anywhere resembling what happened later to Jim Comey. 
But I felt that I had some story to tell about these phone conversations right. with the president. And you know what I did? And I'm not, I'm not comparing myself favorably. I'm not patting myself on the back. But, and again, totally different context. But, you know, I guess I could have talked to the press and, and indirectly through someone told them, well, the president had been calling me. And here's the series of events that led to my being asked to resign and why I didn't. I did an on-the-record interview with two reporters for the New right. York Times, and I, I fully laid out, here's what happened, here's when the president called me, here's what he said, here's what we talked about. Nothing classified in that yep. whatsoever. But, you know, it, it's hard to second-guess other people who are living through an extraordinary moment. But there is a, there is a having been a prosecutor for a very long period of time and believing that leaks, they're deeply unfair and not the right way to proceed, in my view— um, and, and remember, there is one important distinction with the Comey piece, which is that there was an ongoing investigation. And so there was a connection to an ongoing investigation. When you were fired, it may have been connected. It may not have been. We don't know. But it really just sort of, there was nothing you were going to say or do that was going to be related at all right. to an existing investigation. Whereas with Comey, I think he could have done, if he couldn't have gone as far as you did, which is to just call up a reporter and have a direct conversation or have the reporter call you and have the direct conversation, what he could have done is said, look, I believe that the president did things that were inappropriate and I'd be happy to answer questions yeah. before Congress. And I've memorialized incidents that the Bureau has yeah. and, you know, let the process sort of play out from there. So I think my point is there are a lot of ways he could have conveyed yeah. that but, message. But in fairness, on his behalf, to argue from his perspective, and I, I tend to agree with you, but from his perspective, he's thinking perhaps... Well, if I make clear that I have this information, then someone will intercede. Someone will get in the way. Someone right, will that's what he was afraid out. of. Right. But, but it, I still go back to the issue. If you have important information and you think there should be the appointment of a special counsel and you're no longer in office and you decide to get that information out indirectly with anonymity through a media outlet, that's sort of suggesting you were aware <laughs> that it's inappropriate because why not attach your name to right, it? Right, I agree. The anonymity piece and the, the leak... It, it, what makes it a leak is the anonymity piece, right? As opposed to him just coming out and saying, look, I know this is a violation. I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm a whistleblower and here's why I'm doing it. I wouldn't have agreed with that either, by the way. I think there are ways to have gotten it out, but it would have felt a little bit less sort of troublesome than the you know, reaction, which is basically tell your friend to tell the New York Times that, hey, you know, Trump said inappropriate things and there are documents that, that corroborate that. But you know, I want to make clear again, people are listening to this, and I think people have strong views about this, who say that. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and become a member. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work. 